Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of the Ohio Restaurant Association about how that industry is doing as the pandemic eases. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has updates on various pieces of legislation at the State House, as well as reports on school employees possessing guns and a controversy involving the monitoring of Ohioans living in homes for the disabled. And I'll wrap up the hour with Rick Burt. He heads SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. First up on Columbus Perspective, I'm talking with John Barker. He's the president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. How are you doing? Good, Dave. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We talked to you uh, several times uh, over the last year about what's going on, and maybe soon we'll begin to put a wrap on the, all the damage and the kind of recovery that can happen now. Yeah, that is the, uh, that's the goal. You know, or I think for everybody that's involved in hospitality, uh, you know, the dream is to, to get things, you know, back to as close to normal as we can. Uh, and uh, so that, uh, you know, people who uh, love to go to restaurants and bars and travel and go to hotels and, you know, and uh, out to movies and plays and all those things are connected, right? Ball games, you know, they're all connected. And, uh, boy, we've all been missing that for about 15 months. And so, um, yeah, we're, I think people are anxious to get going. And you represent a huge industry in Ohio. Tell us how big it is and, and what happened to it in the last year plus. Yeah, so we have, uh, in, the, in, in the industry, in, just in Ohio here, we have about 23,000 restaurants and bars and food trucks, you know, people that, that you know, serve food in some way and um, take care of customers. And um, unfortunately, during the worst of the pandemic, Dave, about 3,000 of those were, were closed down. And um, uh, that's a pretty big hit, you know, on, on an industry. Um, on top of the restaurants, of course, you had hotels, right, that had zero, you know, occupancy, and you had, you know, sporting events that weren't happening, and um, amusement parks shut down, and, you know, um, uh, theaters not working. So that whole industry just got collapsed, and at one point, you know, we were probably two-thirds of people who worked loosely in the hospitality segment uh, were out of work. Um, and uh, probably the hardest hit of, of any industry uh, group you can imagine. Probably the only thing that was maybe just a little bit worse was cruise ships, right? Because they completely shut down with, with no business. But uh, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it was a hard thing to go through, right? I, if somebody asked me to put it in perspective, Dave, and I, what I said is I can't think of anything because this is 15 months for one industry. I can't think of anything uh, as calamitous and long-lasting. You'd have to go back to the World Wars or maybe even the Great Depression, you know, to have something as significant and in uh, all uh, an impact. It is uh, astounding what happened. And one of the conversations that you and I had last year about the restaurant industry in general is so interesting because 30 years ago or even longer, when I was a kid, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, going to a restaurant to eat out was a, at best a once every month or two thing. It was a big deal. And that's the way it was for most Americans back in those days. And it's nothing like that now. Well, there's a lot of changes that occurred, you know, in particularly the United States, but other, you know, other civilized countries where, you know, you really had the advent of travel, you know, where, where a lot of business travel was going on. You had women going into the workforce really in mass and starting in the 60s and 70s. And so, you know, what you had is you had this demand, right, for food that could be more convenient for people. And that was when the restaurant industry really kind of took off. And then it just kept getting better and better and um, more choices and um 
you know, the whole range of, uh, you know, your little ice cream stand that would be open in the summer all the way up to fine dining. Just the number of uh, those available locations exploded, right, to over a million uh, locations across the United States. And uh, Americans, man, we love to eat out. You know, we just, uh, we turned into sort of a, a sports almost, right? And something that you just, you ask people how often do you eat out a week, and, uh, you know, it's not two. It, it, it gets, and in some cases, particularly with millennials, They'll say almost every meal. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, your uh, industry, the restaurant industry in Ohio, is getting a big financial boost from the state, right? Yes, we are. We worked, uh, we worked very closely, really since day one, with the governor, uh, Governor DeWine, and the governor Husted and um, their teams. And uh, they've done a number of things to you know, try to help uh, the industry. This, this uh, latest is this $100 million that's set aside for restaurants and bars. Um, another $55 million will be going to places like theaters and hotels and things like that. Because, you know, um, when, you, when you look at what's happened to this industry, uh, $290 billion uh, in sales were lost during the pandemic. Uh, this is across the United States. And, of course, Ohio has its fair share of that. Um, and when you walk around right now, if you, if you kind of walk around some of the restaurants in any of our great cities here in Ohio, you say, well, everything's busy. You know what I mean? Boy, it's busy again. Everybody must be good now. Well, they might be busy right now, but a couple of things. They still have all the debt that they had to take on, all the losses that they took on for 15 months. That's still on the books for them, right? In many cases, they use their personal debt. They banked up credit cards. They had to go to the lenders. You know, they had to just do all kinds of extraordinary things just to survive. And uh, they're busy now, but they're not all the way back because on top of everything else we've been through, now there's not enough workers. Um, you know, the whole workforce thing's been completely upset. And so a lot of restaurants can't get back to their normal capacity because they can't, they can't, be, they can't open every day. They can't open every shift. Uh, they can't use all their tables because they don't have enough employees. And so that's our latest thing that we're working through. But the, but the grant from the state will be beautiful in the sense that, uh, you know, if you lost a certain amount of money in 2020, you'll be able to apply for these grants. That is up and running. We put all that information out uh, all over our, you know, media and all of our website. And um, you apply, you can get a grant between 20, I'm, I'm sorry, ten dollars and $30,000, which many of our operators tell me that will go straight into the business, right? They're going to pay, you know, past due, you know, lease. Uh, payments. Right? They're going to pay employees. They're going to give bonuses to employees to you know stay with them. They're going to use it to fuel their business and try to help the economic comeback here in Ohio. And they have to be proactive to get that. Uh, it's a first come, first serve thing, right? Yeah, and so that's why you know why we've been so active uh, trying to get that message out. I've done, geez, just on this topic alone, Dave. I've probably done about fifty interviews around the state. And the media have been great, you know, try to help us get this word out to everybody. And uh, it's, a, it's a lot of money, but it'll go quick, you know. Um, <laughs> when so many people need it and so many people can, can justify it based on their, you know, major losses they had a year ago, it'll go quick. But uh, we're very thankful uh, that the state and the governor agreed to do this. And um, uh, it's going to help. It'll definitely help. Talking with John Barker, president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. Well, you mentioned staffing problems, and, and I think prices and supplies are also something that maybe wouldn't have been foreseen, you know, back when this pandemic was tr first getting started. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, we were in kind of the golden age of the restaurant and entertainment and hospitality business before the pandemic. Uh, so there was a little bit of uh, pressure on, on the workforce, you know, if you go back to 2019, 
but now it's it's really uh, accelerated to a whole different level. And um, I think a lot of the things have happened. First of all, people were dislodged from their jobs for so long, you know, months and months and months, that they went out and found different jobs. And, uh, you know, they may or may not want to come back. We also have, you know, the impact of the pandemic that uh, created things like a lot of child care issues because a lot of child care facilities went out of business. <clears throat> and so there's not as many options for parents that need that kind of support. Transportation is always an issue. People, you know, may or may not have, you know, access to, uh, to get to, you know, particularly in our downtown areas, right? Uh, so we kind of get the downtown vibrant again. It's like the chicken and the egg, right? A lot of the offices are not back. You know, people are not going back in their offices just yet in our downtown, and so there's not as much transportation. It's just, you know, it's a whole number of things that are going on. One of the things you're seeing, David, wages are going up significantly. We try to get people to come back to work. Um, we've also, in the state, uh, the governor uh, implemented the uh, uh, work search requirement uh, for people, so that'll help. And then uh, the last thing, which uh, 20, I think 26 or 27 governors did, they made a decision to no longer accept the federal unemployment, which is that $300 a week benefit that came during the worst of the pandemic. And thank goodness it did, right? Because that saved a lot of lives. Um, but now, with all the jobs available, <clears throat> you know, people need to go back to work. We need to get our economy going again. So Governor DeWine and um, many other governors stopped taking that. All those things are actually starting. We're starting to see a trickle of people coming back and applying uh, into jobs. So we think we're, you know, early on on all that. But, um, uh, you know, our fingers are crossed and things are going to get better. In the spring, sports betting will start in Ohio. What sort of impact will that have? That's something that's still kind of working its way through. Uh, the legislature, in fact, you know, how that will work. Uh, many of our operators are very interested in that because if you go into any of our sports bars and, um, and you see what folks are doing and they want to kind of enjoy themselves with their friends and, and be able to uh, either use a kiosk or an app on their phone. And now that sports are back, you know, um, people are excited about, you know, getting involved. And that's, that's one way people like to have fun. So, yeah, we're, we, would like to, we would like to really see that available uh, for, you know, for our operators. Uh, in the right way, and uh, in certain restaurants, not all restaurants would be interested in that. But, but many of them. Will. There's also, uh, I guess, th- this has been around for a little while now, but it's continuing to expand. They call them Doras, the designated outdoor refreshment areas where you might have a block or two, or even a bigger area in a downtown area where people can grab a drink and walk around from bar to bar and locations within the city. Yeah, so that that started uh, really. Cincinnati was the leader in that. Uh, they moved one last year, and uh, you know we really pushed for that with them. And then once we saw the success of that, you know it's really been one community after the next that we decided to do it. I was in Worcester uh, this past weekend, and they have a Dora uh, designated outdoor refreshment area. Places like Cleveland, you know, now do them and. Um, uh, Dublin, Ohio, Hilliard, Ohio. Just, just if you go around the state, go have a nice time, make a reservation at a certain restaurant. But in the meantime, you can walk around to a couple different places, enjoy a patio. And summertime's the time to do it. So uh, we're excited to see those, and we think that'll be good for business. Talking with John Barker from the Ohio Restaurant Association. Just a couple of minutes to go here. At the beginning of the pandemic, John, you uh, supported the shutdown. And then as it continued on, there was some impatience about how quickly things were going to turn around. And and you felt, and others did, that the restaurant industry was being unfairly targeted for spreading the coronavirus. If all of this happens again down the line with another pandemic, what will your thought be about how this sort of thing is handled when it comes to restaurants? You know, we follow the science, uh, and the science said early on we didn't know, right? We, it felt that 
that a lot of uh, the coronavirus spread was on touching surfaces and uh, and people, you know, talking uh, and sneezing, you know, that kind of thing. And we learned a lot, right? And uh, we had a lot of disinformation, though, coming at us. And, and nobody really knew somebody's fault. But as we understood the science more, we knew uh, that there were ways to mitigate the risk. And we also knew that a lot of people, you know, were willing uh, to operate in the United States with a certain level of risk because there's a balance between the health risk, which is significant and serious, uh, versus the economic calamity that we saw, right? And um, so we would certainly have a much better position. Um, we certainly have the uh, relationships, you know, across the United States with the health leaders, elected officials in Congress, you know, with, uh, with uh, governors and mayors. And uh, we think we'd be, obviously, we've all learned a lot. Um, and restaurants know how to operate, right? We, we've always operated with the highest of health standards. We're one of the very few industries that have regular inspections by health officials. Uh, let's think about it. What other business has people coming in and checking everything inside of the business uh, to make sure that it's safe for employees and guests? Really, when you think about it, hospitals and restaurants, not in bars. Those are, those are the categories. And so, you know, we're ready. Uh, you saw a lot of mitigation things were done, you know, more cleaning and sanitizing. I don't think went into some of the restaurants where they put up the plexiglass between tables and bars and things like that. Um, you know, people wearing masks certainly uh, worked. We know that it worked. And uh, look at what's happened. You know, we've been able to, uh, between all that and the vaccine, we've almost uh, completely arrested uh, COVID, you know, at least here in Ohio. And so um, the cases on a daily basis are down into less than 200 per day. And uh, we're all praying that that stays that way. You couldn't help but feel for some of the bar and restaurant owners, especially some of the bar owners that are just popular places. You know, I'm thinking like Putin Bay and areas downtown where if they were cited for violations, it almost seems like it would have been a, a nearly impossible thing to control. Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of things that happen early on. That, uh, and we and we encourage, you know, we work very closely, you know, with Ohio um, uh, the public, uh, you know, office of security and things like that, and the governor's office and the health departments. And early on, we wanted everybody to toe the line. It had to be fair for everybody. And um, we didn't necessarily want fines, but we certainly wanted a lot of education and a lot of interaction with the restaurants and bars, hotels. You need to follow the rules. Like, these are rules for everybody. And in fact, we put together a kind of a blue ribbon group of, uh, of around 30 people with the governor to come up with the parameters everybody had to operate under. So uh, so there were some tough moments, particularly those first couple of months when we had some people who maybe didn't interpret it right, didn't understand it. There were some people who just literally violated it and didn't, didn't care. And we got that all under control pretty quickly. And, um, you know, we have a lot of great things. One nice thing about being in the Midwest, right, you have really good people and want to do the right thing, good value systems here in the Midwest. And, uh, and I think we got it all worked out after, you know, about a month or two. And last thing, John, the uh, uh, the fund for employees that was set up during the pandemic, that's becoming permanent, I understand. Yeah, yeah. So we had such such success for this. Um, you know, we raised, uh, we're right around $650,000 that we raised. And, um, you know, we were able to give out a, a lot of grants to individuals. And uh, they the letters and calls that we've gotten will just kind of target your heart, you know, in terms of, boy, that, that grant is going to help me go out and, uh, and buy some groceries that I had no money for, right, or to pay my electricity bill or just whatever, you know, people needed. And um, so we know the need is ongoing, uh, and uh, that's been, you know, it's changed a little bit in terms of what people need. So we're going to make it permanent. We're actually going to um, broaden out the scope just a little bit so that that fund can also help 
uh, people that might go through some other kinds of uh, calamities, whether maybe they have a medical emergency or, you know, uh, maybe a restaurant, unfortunately, would have a fire, right, and be out of business for a while. Even though insurance might cover the business, you know, we might need to help uh, the employees of that business for a little while or something like that. And so we have big hearts uh, in this industry. Uh, people get into the restaurant industry because they love other people. They, they love hospitality. And so they've rallied around all this. They do want us to continue it, and so we will. And by the way, the public has been great in supporting it in terms of donations and just general support. They love their restaurants, Dave. They love their restaurants. They want them to be around. It's a great example of how uh, something so catastrophic can have, you know, a, a good element that can come out of it. Isn't that something? You know, there have been good elements, right? There's been a lot of bad, and, you know, we've reported on that, and you have too for a long time. And uh, now we've got to find the silver linings in all this, and, uh, and we're going to, right? We're going to have... You know, we lost 3,000 restaurants, but 20,000 made it. And, uh, and so we're making sure that, uh, that they can, you know, continue to operate. And then we're going to encourage people to reopen and get new people to come into the business, right? Because uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's never enough restaurants in the state of Ohio. <laughs> John Marker again, president, CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, we're just, uh, we're just thankful. You know, um, it's interesting. I've done around 2,500 interviews in the last year with the news media. And, uh, and i got to tell you, the news media has been fantastic in telling the story. They've been fair. You know, they've, they've told the story. They've been sympathetic. And I think that's helped a lot, have people understand what's going on with this industry and people. And uh, it is a great industry. And um, the media has been a big part of it. And, Dave, we appreciate, you know, you covering us and, um, and being so supportive. Always good to talk to you, John. Good luck. All right. Thanks. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. A ruling from the state Supreme Court on your child's teacher being armed and the training that's a must. 
that we are thrilled that the Ohio Supreme Court interpreted the law the way they did. It's not a practical way to, uh, you know, to put something into place to protect our kids in, in schools these days. How the rules will work and an afternoon in the garden. We put things in focus and see how these students are learning about growth. Face the State begins now. Motion will be agreed to. Hearing no objection, the motion is agreed to. The bill was originally about paying athletes, but a last-minute amendment by the Ohio House is sparking a much different conversation about sports. Thank you for joining us for Face the State this morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. Lawmakers inserted an amendment that bans trans girls and women from playing female sports. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio has the reaction. Mr. Speaker, I move to amend with Amendment 1594. The fireworks started when Representative Jenna Powell proposed an amendment having to do with transgender athletes. Female athletes are currently losing scholarships, opportunities, medals, education, and training opportunities. This amendment will require schools that are part of the OHSAA to designate separate teams. The amendment keeps transgender athletes from competing in female sports in both high school and college. This amendment is pro-women. It is not anti-LGBTQ. Shameful day in this, uh, this body today. Uh, this is one of the most extreme political attacks on transgender people in the nation. The amendment passed. 54 affirmative votes, 40 negative votes. As did the bill in its entirety, which initially just centered around student athletes being paid for their name, image, and likeness. So how many student athletes will this affect? Back in May, the Ohio High School Athletic Association said since 2015, there have been 11 transgender female students who have been approved to play. The association has a several-page policy outlining rules for trans youth. Siobhan boyd Nelson works for Equality Ohio, which advocates for LGBTQ youth. This is an issue that gets people's emotions going and that also can um, instigate some fear in folks because we don't know who trans youth are. At the State House, Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. This is where things got just a little complicated. You can find the latest status of all of this legislation right now at 10TV.com. Now, from the State House to the U.S. Supreme Court, the justices ruled in favor of student-athletes, specifically when it comes to certain payments. And former Ohio State University head football coach John Cooper applauded the decision. Yeah, I think it's an excellent thing for him, particularly when, when you're, you're able to give them computers and tutoring and stuff like that to help them out academically. It's, uh, it's hard being a, a football player, an athlete. 10 TV's Clay Gordon explains. Education-related benefits, the focus of the NCAA versus Alston Supreme Court case. The NCAA sets the limits on what schools can offer to its student-athletes in terms of computers or laptops, iPads, um, other academic-related expenses. SCOTUS ruled the organization violated antitrust law. Previously, the NCAA wanted to limit everything and said you can only offer up to so much. 
And now that cap, based on this ruling, uh, the cap is actually going to go away. And I think it's a great starting point. Joshua Perry is a former Buckeye linebacker and played in the NFL for two years. I came from Lewis Center, so I was pretty fortunate. And I had certain things. I came to school and I had, you know, a backpack and a laptop and all the different things I need to be successful. Some of these kids come with nothing. And so that amount of support helps them become successful, not just as athletes, but as students. And if a student athlete is evaluating schools, that might be part of what plays into their decision-making process. This ruling should not be confused with NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. Licensing their name, their image, their likeness to a third party to use. Financial compensation for athletes in some states, new laws make them eligible to cash in on July 1st. The SCOTUS decision rewrites the playbook on what student athletes can now receive. That ultimately becomes an opportunity from a recruiting perspective for a school to be able to target and offer more to a student athlete um, that wasn't allowed previously. In Columbus, Clay Gordon, 10TV News. The battle over the ballot box is continuing right here in Ohio. Democrats are hitting the road to raise awareness about House Bill 294. Democrats like State Representative Kristen Boggs say it will take us in the wrong direction by restricting ballot drop boxes, shortening mail ballot access, and reducing the number of days of early voting. It's so important that we keep up this energy. Um, we're about to go on summer recess, um, so they can bring this bill up. Um, they can wait uh, a year and a half and break, put it on the floor in the middle of the night. Um, so it's important that we stay diligent, that we stay on top of this, and we do not let them forget uh, what the people actually want. The supporters of this bill say it ensures drop boxes are secure and monitored, and they say absentee votes aren't, quote, disenfranchised by shifting the ballot request deadline to 10 days out from Election Day. 10TV's Gabriela Garcia was at a rally related to the voting legislation. She takes a closer look now at what's being proposed. The State House steps were filled with several organizations and individuals showing up here to oppose House Bill 294, being considered just behind those doors. Dozens gathered, many with signs, all upset about House Bill 294. We see this as voter suppression and um, just another one of those continuations of structural racism that exists uh, not only in this country, but as we're seeing still here in the state of Ohio. State Representatives Bill Seitz and Sharon Ray, both Republicans, are sponsoring House Bill 294. Here's what it would do. It would allow for three drop boxes at each county board of elections. It would eliminate voting on the Monday before Election Day, and it would reallocate those Monday voting hours to the week before Election Day. And if you wanted to request a mail-in ballot, you'd have to do it 10 days before the election. I'm dead against this. It's like a hate bill in my book. It's like genocide. You're telling a generation of people how to live. You can't vote. You can't do this. Representative Seitz expressed his frustration with that kind of opposition earlier this month. How anyone can say that such an expansion of voting rights is voter suppression eludes me. For now, demonstrators say they'll keep fighting. To protect our Representative Seitz says he and Representative Ray have presented a balanced bill and there are few remaining issues on it they're willing to discuss. But he says they need, quote, some semblance of cooperation from opposing Democrats. In Columbus, Gabriela Garcia, 10TV News. Now, we did reach out to both sponsors for their comment on the rally. As of Friday, we had not received a response. Here's a question. Should your child's school teacher be armed? The Ohio Supreme Court had an answer in a four to three ruling 
the state justices, state Supreme Court justices said, yes, a school employee can have a gun, but they must undergo police training or have 20 years of law enforcement experience. And just like that ruling, reaction is divided. Here's 10TV's Lindsay Mills. The Ohio Supreme Court ruling requires anyone employed by a public or private school in Ohio to undergo peace officer training or have 20 years of law enforcement experience in order to carry a firearm. Peace officer training is more than 700 hours and is what police officers go through for the academy. Eric Delbert, owner of LEPD Firearms and Range, believes in providing training and does work with some teachers, but says the training requirement by law is too strict and prevents school teachers from having the option. And it's not a practical way to, uh, you know, to put something in the place to protect our kids in, in schools these days. Meanwhile, others like Melissa Cropper say this responsibility should not fall on the teachers and believes the best protection can be provided through the use of a school resource officer. We have been strongly advocating against loosening any of those requirements currently in law. Cropper is the president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, which filed an amicus brief in the case. Both Cropper and Delbert agree school resource officers are vital to protecting students. Delbert hopes this ruling encourages districts that did away with them to reconsider. Well, we hope that it, it not only does that, but it also for those areas who might not have the resources to have an SRO, that the legislators look and say, okay, wait a second, this, this maybe wasn't the intent when this was written. Um, and so now let's go back and come up with the program. And that was 10TV's Lindsay Mills reporting. There is a bill pending in the Ohio House that would exempt employees from that training requirement. Renters get one more month of the eviction moratorium next, the extension for those who are trying not to lose their home. And up in the air, the fireworks legislation that could expand these explosives you know, sometimes we just need to slow down and put things in focus. Coming up, we go to the Linden neighborhood and find a story about growth. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey. Want a drink? No, thanks. I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. The strength of our country hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together in our toughest times. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The amendment related to trans athletes wasn't the only surprise at the Statehouse. Remember that legislation aimed at preventing Ohio employers from forcing employees to get vaccinated? Well, the Ohio House passed it by adding it to an unrelated piece of legislation. Lawmakers folded it into Senate Bill 111, which allocates a half billion dollars in federal relief. The House Health Chairman says it doesn't have the votes to pass. It's now with the Senate. We have our final winners of the Vaximillion Lottery. Esperanza Diaz of Cincinnati was the fifth Ohioan to win a million dollars. And Sydney Dom won the final full-ride scholarship to any state college or university. Governor Mike DeWine talked with both of them, and it's safe to say they are all excited. I did not sleep at all. Well, maybe an hour or so. I couldn't sleep. I was too excited and just thinking, thinking, thinking. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was a shock. I had kind of forgotten about it. I, I'd been hopeful the first few weeks that we were going to win, and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then, then you called, and total excitement. <laughs> All right, so now that Vaximillion is over, what's next for incentives? I was asked if I had any regrets about the Vaximillion, and I really don't. Uh, but... You know, one of the things that some people have pointed out and a lot of Ohioans have pointed out is they might be also incentivized by smaller uh, prizes, but more. And so that was something that certainly has been pointed out to us. The governor also says he has no plans to pull back on making the vaccine available at as many places as possible. The Biden administration and the CDC have extended the eviction moratorium. The ban on evictions will now last 30 more days. The director of the CDC says this is intended to be the final extension of the the moratorium. The Biden administration is now hoping to prevent a wave of evictions after July 31st. You know, soon you may be eligible for advanced monthly payments through the child tax credit. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, who represents the 3rd District, is trying to make sure people are aware of this program. The tax credit could get parents up to $300 per child. This was a major component of the American Rescue Plan. Beatty talked about its importance. Help is on the way. Life-changing help. The American Rescue Plan and the Child Tax Credit will allow mothers and parents to be able to have help. The Child Tax Credit begins on July 15th. An advocacy group that helps root out abuse and neglect says a bill at the State House is threatening their authority. But a parent group with children who have disabilities argues more oversight of disability rights Ohio is needed. Here's Chief Investigative Reporter Bennett Haberly. Disability Rights Ohio is a nonprofit that says it has the blessing of the federal government to go into facilities, look for abuse and neglect, and inform individuals with disabilities of their rights. But a bill being considered here at the State House, they claim, would threaten their ability to investigate and act with autonomy. That's what it sounds like. Every two years, they're going to, the exact language is examine the activities of the protection advocacy program. And that's very alarming to us, because, especially because 
it's our understanding from Senator Romanchuk, who's pushing this amendment, that um, one of the activities that he's unhappy with is our ability to go in and speak privately and confidentially with people with developmental disabilities who have guardians. Shirsten Schoberg with Disability Rights Ohio is opposed to the measure that's being considered. It calls for creating a committee of lawmakers to review the activity of Disability Rights Ohio. Schoberg says her group is federally funded and needs the ability to talk to individuals with complete autonomy. Last spring, DRO released its findings into sequel pomegranate, which mirrored much of what 10 investigates had uncovered, that children at the facility were being placed in painful restraint holds, and that both staff and the children there were being injured. But a parent group says DRO's investigations at other facilities have been cause for concern, telling adults with disabilities that they can live outside a facility. One parent called that an overreach of what parents, guardians, and in some cases a court has decided is best for that individual. DROs inserting themselves between a parent and a child, between a guardian and their ward, and trying to encourage the ward to go against what the guardian has decided is best for that individual. That is not, a, that is not investigating abuse and neglect. What that is doing is literally interfering in the private decisions of Ohioans. Now, this bill that would call for a recurring review of Disability Rights Ohio's activities is being considered right now in the conference committee. No word on when that measure could be hammered out. If it's passed, Schoberg says she'll ask Governor DeWine for a line item veto. Reporting at the State House, Bennett Haberly, 10 TV News. Senator Mark Romanchuk, who is in favor of the measure, sent 10 investigates a statement that reads in part that families need to know their voice matters. That is what we are providing a way to make sure their voices are heard. There was a bipartisan breakthrough at the White House. President Joe Biden announced Democrats and Republicans made a deal on infrastructure. You'll recall they've been negotiating on this one for months. The group agreed to $579 billion in new spending on physical infrastructure. That includes roads and bridges, which analysts say desperately need to be revisited. Ohio Senator Rob Portman played a big role in getting both sides to the table. We were able to come together on a core infrastructure package. This is not non-infrastructure items without new taxes and with the commitment from Republicans and Democrats alike that we're going to get this across the finish line. The White House and Democrats are separately working on a budget bill that can be passed without Republican support. Democrats say the budget bill is necessary to get progressive members of the party on board with a more moderate infrastructure bill. The 4th of July means fireworks. Right now you can buy consumer-grade fireworks in our state, but you can't legally set them off. That could change, though, with Senate Bill 113. Fireworks could be set off on major holidays and the days and weekends around the 4th of July. There are some questions about safety, but supporters say, although more people are, in fact, using fireworks, there are not more injuries. Opponents say there isn't legitimate concern about this in communities. What residential communities were complaining about having fireworks only on New Year's Eve and 4th of July? I don't think there was a commission that was drawn up to ask community uh, people what we felt about this. If fireworks are to believed to be a dangerous product or an unsafe product, as this significant increase of fireworks coming into the country has happened, we should similarly see a significant increase in the raw number of injuries. Logic would say yes. However, history tells us no, that isn't the case. 
And we should note Senate Bill 113 would still allow local municipalities to restrict or to ban the use of fireworks in their communities. We're putting our communities in focus beyond the typical headlines you see every day. And I can use this in the future, you know, and start my own little garden. Next, the power of growth for both students and this neighborhood. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors, and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Getting support from friends online kept me on track. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. Instead of smoking after I ate, I'd get up and take a walk. I missed having a cigarette in my hand, so I'd hold a pen or a straw, anything. Until I knew I wouldn't give in to temptation, I spent more time with my friends who didn't smoke. I went to places that were smoke-free. I didn't stay quit the very first time I tried. I kept on trying, and I learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. I quit. I quit. I quit. We did it. So can you. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. In parts of Columbus, affordable fresh food is hard to come by. Some students are taking matters into their own hands. Angela Rygard shows us how a classroom grew into a garden, putting in focus what it means to be part of a community for those at Lyndon McKinley's STEM Academy. Hi, my name is Kenneth Pulley, and I'm a junior at Lyndon McKinley STEM Academy. And uh, we're just out here uh, basically just planning, you know, just uh, taking care of the environment. It's just all about patience, you know, not trying to rush it and hurry up and be done, you know, because when I first started, you know, I wasn't really that great either. And it was I'm just I'm still learning as we speak, but I'm starting to find more joy in doing things like this. And it just gives me time to, you know, think about things. And what do you think about you know, sometimes I just think, like, people and the way they treat the world and, you know, it's it's not that good, but, you know, I just want to give back. For some people, stress releases mowing the grass. Some people, it's doing drugs. Um, some people, it's gardening. Yeah, so I guess part of this is, is that for me. Eric Valentine, Columbus City Schools, Agriculture Pathway lead. The program was started three years ago. And the site that we're on, uh, this is our second year for it. We really started this program with little resources and, and a facility that wasn't designed for an ag pathway. And so we had to think outside the box and big picture and think about ways that we can bring that curriculum to life uh, to the students. Experiential learning, hands-on learning, is what really encourages and motivates our children at all ages to be lifelong learners. Hi, my name is Christine Weatherholtz, and I am the Columbus City Schools Farm to School Curriculum Coordinator. There are 64 schools participating in the um, Community Garden Initiative throughout Columbus City Schools, with our shining star being... Eric Valentine's Ag Career Pathway Program that will allow our children to go into careers connected to agriculture or to go to college programs connected with agriculture. See, it's not that hard. You just got to take your time. And I can use this in the future, you know, 
and start my own little garden. We are in a food desert here in Linden. And all the food, after we do the research, once we get our measurements and our data out of it, it goes right back to the community. This is crunch lettuce. Any given day, there could be three to four, five, sometimes there's been over a dozen community members from all walks of life out here learning about what we're doing. They're taking what we're learning here back into their own homes and pro providing for their family or their neighbors. Everyone here, you know, like we're all just living in the community trying to, uh, you know, take care and help other people. What message do you think it sends for someone who drives by and sees this? They, they can see that uh, there's people out here, you know, who are willing to give and help and, you know, just be there for someone. And, you know, this is just kind of like our message saying that, like, we're all together. You know, no one's in this alone. That was Angela Rygard reporting. Recently, the city of Columbus's Department of Neighborhoods invested $50,000 in the program. That money will help make sure water and electricity go to that site in this warm weather to keep that garden growing. Thank you all for joining us here today. We will see you next week for Face the State. Have a great Sunday. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated, and it can last a lifetime. Up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental disorder that requires a comprehensive approach to treatment. Learn more at moretoadhd.com. This message brought to you in partnership with ADA, ACO, and CHAD. Did you know that every year, public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, music, and more. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. And joining me on the phone is Rick Burt. He is the president of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. How are you? Great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to us. We talked to you last year when uh, you were talking about yeah. Christmas time, and uh, there's always uh, you know something pertinent going on when it comes to students and decisions that they make. And we also were talking back then that SAD used to be Students Against Drunk Driving, and it has uh, changed from that. Yeah, it's true. You know, we heard from our student leaders that certainly impaired driving is still a critical issue, but there are so many other issues that they face in their everyday lives. Things like bullying, mental health, uh, cybersecurity and safety, how to take care of their friends. Uh, as it relates to other elements of driving, underage drinking, and much more. So we try to be really responsive to what we hear our young people saying and provide them the tools, resources, and knowledge that they and other adult allies in their lives need to keep them and other young people safe. And you're a Washington-based group. You're actually, though, a Buckeye. Uh, how did you get involved with SAD? Yeah, I'm originally from Springfield and grew up in Ohio, was active as a SAD student within uh, Ohio SAD. And uh, when I, after I graduated from Wittenberg, 
went and worked for a couple other nonprofits for a few years and came back to work for a side at the national level, holding a couple different roles until I became our president and CEO uh, probably about four years ago. And so I, I've been really lucky in that I've not only found a passion, uh, but also a career in working with young people, working with our partners and all of our, our allies to help keep young people safe and give young people the knowledge that they know that they need to keep each other safe. I, I think you know, there's a real temptation to, you know, to really put young people in a bad light. I think sometimes we think about this generation as being apathetic or disengaged, but I'm here to tell you and I tell our listeners that young people want to make the right choice. They want to do good things. They just need a little bit of help, and that's what SAD is here to help them do is provide them those resources to make better choices. And it's harder to make those choices because there are so many more distractions, and, and, uh, and I mean, it's just a different world than it was a few decades ago. Yeah, yeah it's true. I mean, think about how everything has changed. Uh, every facet of our lives is slightly different. The way we connect, how we connect, certainly COVID-19 has changed that dynamic even more. So, again, that's why we try to be really responsive. You know, we think about, uh, you know, how we talk with young people, the, the messaging, the channels that we use. If there are any TikTokers out there, you can find that on TikTok, Snapchat, all the latest social media channels because we know that's where young people are. And it's so important to talk in a way that's real and authentic, but also to give parents and grandparents, other people who care about young people, the tools and resources that they need. So if you visit our website, www.sad.org, you can find great resources for how to have conversations with your parent or with your parents if you're a young person, how to have conversations with your teens if you are a parent. How to maybe get involved is if you're another uh, an ally or a person who works with young people or cares about young people. All those resources and much more are on our website, all free of cost. And we're so proud in the Buckeye State to be working with the Ohio Department of Public Safety uh, and the Ohio State Highway Patrol on many of our campaigns, including the Safest Summer Ever campaign, which is going on right now, because we know the time between Memorial Day and Labor Day is the most deadly season for young people on our roadways. We lose more teens during the summer months than any other time of year. So SAD and our partners, ODPS and the Ohio uh, and the National Road Safety Foundation, rather, are using our passport to safe driving to give parents and resources tips and tricks on some of the leading skills that we know young people are lacking as they get behind the wheel. You can find our passport to safe driving and other resources on the National Road Safety Foundation's website, but also on SAD's website, Dave. So I'd encourage folks to check that out. Um, after they listen to us today. It's really been odd how traffic fatalities skyrocketed last year, even though people weren't commuting. It's true. You know, I think there's been several things that have happened. Uh, I think the, the risky behaviors that people saw, we saw speed go up. We saw impairment numbers go up. We saw the, you know, the general temptations that are out there still continue to be a challenge not only for young people, but all drivers. And so I think it's a great reminder to our parents and the grandparents that are listening that you are the key. You set the expectations for how young people think about driving. From the minute you turn that car seat around and you've got a little one in the back seat, they're watching how you're distracted, uh, the, the road aggression you show, how you drive, if you push it and run that red light. All those things are things that they're, they're suddenly watching. And don't be surprised that when you hand them the keys, they take the wheel if they don't display those same actions. So the Passport to Safe Driving and other resources from NRSF really speak to that, to make sure that parents know how to model that behavior, how to have that conversation, and most importantly, Dave, how to keep that conversation going, because we know that's how we save lives and keep young people safe. Talking with Rick Burt, president of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. It used to be commonplace for there to be driver's ed courses in school, but that's not always the case anymore, right? true you know i think school districts
districts uh, found the financial pinch of driver's ed, and so now across Ohio, it's predominantly a, a private function. It's something that parents have to go off and find the resources to acquire if they want to. If they want their young person to get that license before the age of 18 or after the age of 18, they can go and take the driver's ed test. But what we found is that driver's ed is more important now more than ever. You know, uh, even though our cars have gotten a little smarter, Dave, I'm not sure our drivers have always kept up. So there's a lot of new things on vehicles, uh, whether that be automation, whether that be driver's assist, things like that that are really important that teens are versed in. And whether that happens in driver's ed class or with uh, a parent in the driveway, it's really important for parents to think about what vehicle they're putting their teen in. And they're thinking about that, you know, if they're playing the car shuffle where maybe the teen drives this car today, that car tomorrow, they realize that that car operates differently. It has different features and different functions. And so driver's ed can be a great way not only to get to know the vehicle, but also, of course, get to know the rules of the road. So we really encourage parents. We know it's a, a large financial investment, but it's an investment in safety to get your young people into a local driver's ed school. You can find more information about that on the Ohio Department of Public Safety's website or find resources on how to choose a driver's ed class in our Passport to Safe Driving, which I've mentioned too. All great things to help you and your family make the best decisions to keep your young driver safe. You know, this is interesting because uh, kids are always uh, complaining about their parents harping on them for things that they think they already know the answers to. And yet, when you read about kids and guidance, they crave guidance. They like to be told. Uh, They like that, that feeling of security that somebody's looking out for them. Yeah, it's true. You know, Dave, I think we're all like that, right? I mean, after the last 18 months or so, any sort of stability or support I think is welcomed. It goes back to some of those deep psychological traits that we have as humans. And certainly when we think about young people, I'm reminded that the the teen brain is literally still developing. There there literally is biology behind this to show that until the person gets to the age of 25 or so, their brain, their frontal cortex is still not fully developed. And so it's no wonder that the adolescents in Ohio and across the country, they do need that support that you're talking about. They do need parents to be involved. Now, you may say, well, Rick, what, my team, that's the last thing my team wants to do is hang out with me. Well, yes, yeah, there's this also this search for independence that comes into play. And when, when you hear teens separating themselves, that's puberty and that's adolescents pushing them to try to you know, find their own space and their bodies are raging with hormones. But those factors collide to create a really dangerous time, Dave. And so I really encourage our listeners to take advantage of the resources that we offer to understand the teen brain a little bit more and also understand the role in being an engaged parent, how we can help you, know, you and your family make the right decisions for you so that you have the right information to understand how the dynamics of puberty works and particularly understand in, in this day and age the different pressures and realities that young people face, the pressures of you know things like uh, social, social media and online bullying, cyberbullying. We would never have been talking about this 10, 12 years ago, but now it's a reality that the bullying that we knew of days of yore is long gone, and now it's subtle DMs, it's, it's uh, you know, text messages, it's tweets and, and snaps that come to a young person and can create some real damage. And so understanding that role and finding ways to be supportive, that's really how we can help teens and parents alike navigate this new age we're in. Talking with Rick Burt from SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. Uh, During the height of the pandemic, I know a lot of uh, your uh, involvement with these groups around the country was virtual. Are they beginning to open up again? Yeah, a little bit here and there. You know, obviously we want our students and our communities to be 
safe. And, and luckily, you know, we've seen a, a great shift in schools are uh, planning to reopen in the fall and that as things are getting back to a, a new normal, we're certainly mindful that I think we're all going to be washing our hands a little bit more. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, Dave, but there, there's certainly some cultural nuances that came to light. I think it also revealed the underlying need that we have to talk about mental health in this country. I mean, the CDC has shown us that it, during the height of the pandemic, one in four high school students, Dave, one in four, 25% of America's youth were battling some sort of diagnosable mental health condition. And so I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for all of us to reflect on how, what are we doing each and every day to take care of our mental health? How are we making sure that not only we're taking care of ourselves, but we're checking in on those around us because those who still have underlying conditions, those who have medical conditions, um, those who are at different points of the vaccination cycle, COVID is still affecting everyone in different ways. And so it is, it is not over by any means. We need to be thankful of how we can bring everyone along and make sure that as we think about the back-to-school season, the teens and parents have the resources they need to uh, tackle whatever the school system looks like, tackle whatever your school is doing in a safe and equitable way, and that's certainly what we're here to do. I'm curious about your outreach into urban areas where uh, violent crime, especially uh, among youth, has skyrocketed. Columbus uh, set a record last year for homicides, and we are way ahead of that pace this year. Yeah, it's certainly violence and, and so many of these other things that we talk about, they do come back to a mental health component. So the first thing, again, as I just said, I think we need to really revisit the subject of mental health and providing mental health resources to young people and actually all, all citizens. And so I think that's, that's the first step. I think also, you know, making sure that we're getting our resources into areas that maybe have been forgotten in other in some ways and, and providing those resources across the board, absolutely important. So you'll see SAD expanding our reach and our outreach strategies. Number three, I, I think, too, you know, making sure that we're having honest conversations about some of the challenges we're facing as a country not through a political lens, but through a lens of, hey, we all care about all of our young people. How can we make sure that every young person has the opportunities that they need to obtain a safe future? So that's why we're working even harder than, than ever before to make sure that we're talking about inclusion as not just a word in our in our strategic plan, but making sure that all students of all backgrounds feel welcomed, but also doing it so that we're thinking about geography, maybe rural parts. There are lots of rural parts of Ohio, Dave, some parts of Ohio that still don't have uh, broadband internet. How can we make sure that we're reaching those students? There are parts of Ohio that still uh, struggle with different uh, opioid addictions and, and, and underlying causes there. How can we serve those communities? How can we be resilient to teach young people that if people do want you to partake in a violent crime, they want you to be a distracted driver, they want you to partake in a substance, there's a way that you can speak up and use your risk and protective factors to overcome those challenges, whatever they might be. That's at the heartbeat of what we do, and that's what we do every day to empower, engage, mobilize and lead to change and, and we hope that partners our listeners will can join us in that fight because we do believe that every young person deserves the bright future that will help make ohio and help make our country a better place talking with rick burt the president of sad tell us uh, again about the website and what parents uh, and others should be looking for on it yeah absolutely a couple things i'll highlight www.sadd.org our main website has tons of great resources, especially during this 100, day, 100 Deadliest Day season. We're working towards the safest summer ever. You'll find our passport to safe driving from the National Road Safety Foundation, a great resource, as well as our contract for life and other parental engagement tools to help start the conversation, because we know it's sometimes hard to start that conversation, but also keep it going so that every parent, every grandparent, every adult ally out there knows how to engage young people. 
Make sure you also follow us on your favorite social channels uh, at Ohio Sad on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Sad Nation on the same channels, TikTok and Snapchat. We're here to help however we can, and we are looking forward to uh, helping young people stay safe, not only this summer, but all year long, Dave. All right, outstanding. Rick Bird again, president of Sad Students Against Destructive Decisions. Uh, thanks so much for your time today, Rick. Hey, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.